very best friend. And you're mine too, Todd. And we'll always be friends forever, won't we? Yeah, forever. I just wanted to see you. We're, we're still friends, aren't we? Todd, those days are over. I'm a hunting dog now. I want my MTV. Hello, hello, I'm Katie, and welcome to Retromade, your pop culture rewind. We're going to go back to the summer of 1981 today, a mighty fine time if I do say so myself. MTV was born, as was yours truly, and of course, the adorable Disney classic The Fox and the Hound was released with our everyman Kurt Russell voicing Copper. I even have my very own hound dogs now. Maybe it was this movie that put the idea of adopting bloodhounds into my head. Hey, head on over to uh, the Retromade Facebook page to see pictures of them. We'll call them mascots of the show since I can't really call them assistants. Uh, I catch them sleeping on the job far too often for them to be assistants. So Rambo and Balboa will be Retromade podcast mascots. So check them out if you are into dogs and especially if you loved the Fox and the Hound like I did. And now even more so because I have bloodhounds. Does anyone else have hound dogs? They are definitely unique. And uh, I actually found the specific type of bark that Copper has in this movie now rewatching it. I feel like it really does capture uh, bloodhound bark pretty well. Okay, let's open the time capsule from July of 1981. We have our primetime TV. According to Nielsen ratings, the top shows. Again, 1981, the year I was born, Dallas, The Dukes of Hazard, MASH, The Love Boat, The Jeffersons, Alice, House Calls, which I was not at all familiar with. I've never heard of that. I looked it up, and it's an American sitcom that lasted three seasons, starring Lynn Redgrave as a hospital administrator that has three unruly doctors to cope with. Is anyone else familiar with this one? I was not. Please let me know. Additionally, Three's Company, of course, Little House on the Prairie, and One Day at a Time. Now, premiering uh, in 1981, we have Dynasty, Hill Street Blues, Cagney and Lacey, Give Me a Break. You guys remember Give Me a Break with Nell Carter? I loved this show. Actually, the reruns are uh, still on one of those channels that I talked about in a previous episode. I don't remember which one exactly, but either Antenna or Cozy or one of those uh, nostalgia channels. Uh, gosh, give me a break with Nell Carter. I don't know if that type of show would be made now, but I loved it. Then in terms of finales in July or the summer of 1981, Charlie's Angels finished. The Muppet Show, The Waltons, and Soap. The standouts for Saturday mornings. Are you ready for this? Guess which amazing cartoon debuted in 1981. The Smurfs! And then, of course, we have The Flintstones, Popeye, Bugs Bunny, and Roadrunner, Heathcliff, and Marmaduke, another amazing Great Dane from the 80s. I myself had three. 
They're pretty awesome. And, and then Daffy Duck. And then the midday programming, as we've talked about before, we have American Bandstand, Tom and Jerry. And actually, this might be a new one. The Bowwinkle Show. I don't think we've covered that one. So 1981, midday programming. Now, the top 10 uh, music billboards that week. Number one, Betty Davis Eyes by Kim Carnes. Number two is All Those Years Ago by George Harrison. Number three is The One That You Love by Air Supply. Number four is Jesse's Girl by Rick Springfield. I sort of can't believe that this was 1981. It somehow feels like both a long, like a way long time ago, but also very recent somehow. This song is still in heavy rotation on the radio. So I don't know. It's a weird time warp there. Jesse's Girl, 1981. Okay, number five is Make My Dreams by Holland Oates. Number six, Elvira, the Oak Ridge Boys. Number seven, I almost don't even know how to say it. I went down a rabbit hole on this because it is listed as Medley by Stars on 45. And then the song is also called Stars on 45. It's the Stars on 45 with a medley of Beatles songs that's backed by a disco beat. I literally had never heard of Stars on 45, but apparently it is a Dutch studio group and they climbed all the way to the top of the U.S. pop charts in 1981 with a single whose impossibly long title takes almost as long to read as the song itself takes to play. The actual title is Medley Intro Venus slash Sugar Sugar slash No Reply slash I'll be back slash drive my car slash do you want to know a secret slash we can work it out slash I should have known better slash nowhere man slash you're going to lose that girl slash stars on 45. Literally the longest title ever to chart in a billboard and was conveniently shortened to stars on 45 medley or just medley by stars on 45. You can see why I went down a rabbit hole with the confusion of how to even talk about this but that was apparently number seven on the charts it's not very good i listened to it anyway number eight is the theme from the greatest american hero by joey scarberry number nine is i don't need you by kenny rogers and rounding out the top 10 is the pointer sisters with slow hand a few pieces of news or events that i thought you might find interesting firstly sandra day o'connor was the first female supreme court justice you guys, this is July of 1981. Again, both surprising and not surprising, but this is only 40-ish years ago. We're just now at this time getting our first woman on the Supreme Court, Sandra Day O'Connor. Nintendo's arcade game Donkey Kong was released. 1981, guys. Then in August, so still in the summer, but moving past July a little bit, MTV was born. Stay tuned after the movie coverage for more on MTV. Okay, so let's get into The Fox and the Hound. And The Fox and the Hound that I'm referring to is the Disney animated movie. This one right here. There you can see it a little bit better. That's the original cover for listeners. It's the puppy VHS plastic puppy case 
So it's the original. That's how I watched the movie on my VCR. Yep, you betcha. Okay, so this is an interesting little tidbit for our Kurt Russell because the release date of The Fox and the Hound was July 10th, 1981. If this sounds familiar to anyone, it's because that's the exact same day as Escape from New York came out. He literally had two movies that came out on the same exact day. I don't know. I find that wild for some reason. This is a, a rated G, of course. And the IMDb rating is a 7.2. We have three directors for this movie and uh, like three writers as well. So Ted Berman was a director. He was also a writer on this. And he's known for The Black Cauldron, Bedknobs and Broomsticks and The Rescuers. Richard Rich, that's a fun name, known for The Swan Princess and The Black Cauldron, and Art Stevens, known for Andromeda Strain, The Rescuers, and The Black Cauldron. Everybody seems to be on The Black Cauldron. <laughs> Writers, Daniel P. Mannix, who actually wrote the novel on which this movie was based. So he was one of the writers along with Larry Clemens, known for The Rescuers, The Jungle Book, and The Aristocrats. And then, as I mentioned, Ted Berman, who was the director as well. Now, this is a pretty sweet cast. Uh, and when I watched this as a child, obviously, I didn't, I know I didn't fully appreciate this voice cast. So get a load of this. We have Mickey Rooney as Todd the Fox. Now, Mickey Rooney has been nominated for four Oscars. And I should mention that these are all, obviously, it's an animated movie, so the cast is all voice. Kurt Russell as Copper the Hound, Pearl Bailey as Big Mama the Wise Motherly Owl, Jack Albertson as Amos Slade, who is the hunter in this. And if his voice sounds familiar to you, it's because he also played Grandpa Joe in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. But he's best known to audiences as The Man in the TV series Chico and the Man from 1974. Never heard of it, but apparently that's his best known uh, role because he won an Emmy for that. And then we have Sandy Duncan as Vixie, the Lady Fox. Jeanette Nolan as Widow Tweed, aka like the old farmer lady. And her voice, if she sounds familiar, those Golden Girls fans might recognize her. She played Rose's mom in an episode of the Golden Girls but her most notable role was as Lady Macbeth, opposite Orson Welles. Now, Chief, the old-timer dog in this, is voiced by Pat Buttram, and he did a ton of other voice work, including the animated uh, Robin Hood, the wolf, Sheriff of Nottingham. He played that. And he was also Napoleon in The Aristocat. And then John Fiedler, he voices the porcupine, in The Fox and the Hound. And if you rewatch it, I, you will recognize this voice immediately. It's Piglet. It's the voice of Piglet in the original 1977 Pooh. John Fiedler was also in 12 Angry Men, The Odd Couple, and the original 1969 True Grit. So he's kind of a big deal, it seems. And then we have Richard Bacallion as Dinky, the Sparrow. He also played Amos in Turner and Hooch, the old man. Oh, Turner and Hooch. Gosh, I can't wait to cover that movie when we get to a season that allows for it. He was also in Psycho, the voice of Rufus in The Rescuers. 
Then Boomer the Woodpecker, you'll also very much recall his voice, who is Paul Winsell, known for Tigger's voice in the original 1977 Pooh. Then as the youngsters, Keith Coogan voices the young Todd. And you guys, the name might not sound familiar to you, but I guarantee you know who he is. He uh, was most known for playing Brad in Adventures in Babysitting, as well as Kenny in Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. And then we have Corey Feldman as young Copper. You all know who Corey is. Uh, Stand By Me, The Lost Boys, Goonies, and one of the Corys. Now, these guys must have been really young. Uh, or when I was a kid watching this, I didn't, none of these, I don't even think I recognized that it was Kurt Russell, probably. But man, this is quite a voice cast. So thank you for bearing with me on that. I just wanted to point all of those amazing voice actors out. The score is also really, really well done. Buddy Baker did the score for The Fox and the Hound, and he scored over 50 films and coordinated the musical components of the Epcot Center Project, which opened in 1982. And then apparently when he retired in 1983, he was the last staff composer at a major Hollywood studio. Oh, fun fact. He also scored The Many Adventures of Winnie Pooh in 1977. This movie is just chock full of crossover with Winnie the Pooh. Okay. We'll talk a little bit more about it, but a high level description for those of you who for some reason haven't seen this movie in your lifetime, or maybe it's been 30 years. So we have a feisty little fox named Todd is adopted to a farm family. He quickly becomes friends with a fun and adorable hound puppy named Copper. Life is full of hilarious adventures until Copper is expected to take on his role as a hunting dog. And the object of his search is his best friend. This won Germany's Golden Screen Award. It made quite a bit of money. It grossed $63.5 million on a $12 million budget. Okay. Now, as I mentioned, I still have a VCR, and I hope that thing never dies. And this is how I watched it. Again, I'm, for those of you who are listening, there's a glare. There we go. I am showcasing this amazing Disney cassette plastic puffy, those original ones. I'm not describing it well, probably, but you guys know what I'm talking about. Now, Kurt Russell, a Disney legend, returned to the studios to voice the adult hound dog Copper, as I mentioned. It was his 10th Disney movie. Again, this is in 1981, and that was his 10th Disney movie. He did return again in 2004 to star as the hockey coach in Miracle, which, man, I need to rewatch that, I think. I remember that movie being really good. Anyway, Getting into the movie, we do start off with a tragedy, per Disney usual, with a frightened and desperate fox mama trying to flee hunters while carrying her baby in her mouth. She eventually has to hide the baby so she can try and escape and then come back, but she hides the baby and then she's killed off screen. I just hate this. It's sad watching Disney movies for a number of reasons, but this is very Bambi-esque. Anyway, the other forest creatures pitch in to help the baby find a home with that farmer lady, a.k.a. Widow Tweed. Oh, I didn't know until this week when I rewatched the movie that Todd is spelled with one D and is short for toddler, as Widow Tweed says, but is also derived from the Middle English word Todd, T-O-D-D-E, 
which means box. So there's that. Uh, based on the cars in the movie, the clothes, uh, the fact that they have dogs chained up to barrels, I had guessed this to be set in like the 1920s or 1930s, perhaps. And then we have like, this hillbilly looking, hillbilly acting Amos. He's the neighbor to Widow Tweed. He's also the hunter in the movie. He brings home a bloodhound puppy to his old timer dog, Chief. The puppy's name is Copper. And there are just no words for how adorable he is. And I know, I know this is a cartoon, but the animation is really lifelike and impressively good with facial expressions. I, I just really find it moving, like really moving. And then he's got these big old ears. And especially since actually the day that I'm recording this is my little Balboa. It's her birthday. She was born into a rescue. And so she's the first puppy I've ever had. And she was just all ears and all paws. And so it brought me to the time of taking her home. So it was really touching. We see this tiny little copper and then he speaks. And it's even more adorable because this tiny Corey Feldman voice is too cute. I should have looked up when Corey Feldman was born, but he couldn't have been. I mean, his voice sounds like he's like four and it's so cute. It's so cute. You guys got to rewatch this. And then there's this scene where the baby versions of Todd and Copper meet. It's freaking fantastic. So Todd goes exploring to stay out of trouble because he keeps causing havoc for his adopted mama. And both of their voices together are just adorable. They're neighbors. They become the best of friends. And there's a whole song to accompany it. And they go playing every day until Copper gets tied up by Amos. Has to ruin all the fun. So then... Amos and the dogs are, we, we see a scene where they're heading out in the old timey truck or car on a very long hunting trip. He says something like they'll be back in the spring or they won't be back until the spring. So we see in the movie how Todd's kind of waiting for his friend to come back and he's sad and we see the seasons change. And during this time, Copper is being trained to become a hunting dog. They hunt fox. So Todd is at the same time being taught and warned that his friend might come back different and that his friend is being taught to kill creatures just like Todd. Todd doesn't want to believe this, but obviously we see where this is headed. And sure enough, when they come back, there's a truckload of dead little creatures just like Todd. I mean, it's just like heartbreaking to watch these Disney movies with animals for me. Any other animal lovers out there? It's hard, right? Okay, so now, now they're back. It's springtime and Todd and Copper are grown up. They have their adult voices of Kurt Russell and Mickey Rooney now. So Copper has now been taught to be a hunting dog. And he tells Todd that their days of friendship are over and that Todd better stay away because he doesn't want to have to hurt him. God, this is heart-wrenching. Again, the facial expressions of the, these animated animals it just really does sell the emotions. It's really good. 1981. I, I guess I'm really impressed rewatching it. Okay, so to keep Todd safe, Widow Tweed drives him out to a game reserve. It's super sad because she's just she doesn't want to let him go, but it's for his own safety. So it's a game reserve with signs that say no hunting. So you're not allowed to hunt here. So she sets him free there. And again, it's even it just gets more and more heartbreaking. Todd's first night is Super sad. It's raining. He can't find anywhere to stay, but he does eventually find some friends and he even finds a lady fox, Vixie. 
and a little little romance blossoms there. It's really cute. But then Amos and Copper, they're now set on catching Todd because there was a chase scene that resulted in Chief, the old dog, getting hurt. So now they're both pissed. So Amos ignores the fact that there's a no hunting sign. He he doesn't care. And he sets those barbaric steel jaw traps. <laughs> Don't even get me started on these. Anyway, he invades Todd's home. He literally like goes into his home, sets these traps, and then he also sets the burrow ablaze. So now Todd and Vixie are like together. They have a little burrow. And it's now caught on fire because Amos just is set on getting Todd. This whole time, meanwhile, Vixie, the lady, knew something wasn't right. That woman's intuition. Nice touch, Disney. Now there's an intense chase with the perfect music to bring us along this frightful event. There's a huge bear that actually saves the day, sort of, preventing Amos from shooting Todd. So Amos gets a shot at Todd, and then here comes this giant bear, right? Then Copper, the ever-loyal dog that he is, he tries to fight off the bear to protect his master. Their word, not mine. Also, so now, now, so Todd gets away now. He's could be home free, but he actually returns to the trouble so that he can distract the bear to help Copper, his friend, resulting in Todd being flung off of a log that's over a, there's a beautiful, it's, again, it's animation, but it's beautiful. There's a, a waterfall and there's a log that you could walk along. Anyway, he gets thrown off of that and he plummets to the riverbed. And at first, we aren't sure if Todd survives. He does, but barely. Now, so now, Copper approaches, and then the hunter shows up, pointing his gun at Todd. Now, as a final act of true friendship, choosing his true friend over his master's cruel commands, Copper blocks the shot by standing in front of Todd and refuses to move. Bravo, Copper. So, miraculously, Amos gives up. He gives in and he leaves. And so, you know, Copper's his dog, so he has to go. So Copper kind of starts to trot along, but he turns back and looks at Todd with a smile, as if no words are needed. They both understand. Oh, it was such a good scene. Again, this is an animation, but it's just really good. So now we cut to happy music. Thank God. This Because it really was the music and the animation. It's just very well done. So we finally get happy music. Thank you, Disney. So now we have Amos, who has a broken leg by stepping in his own barbaric traps, which serves him, right? Again, thanks, Disney. That was a nice little payoff there. But now he's become friends with the widow. So they used to butt heads because, you know, Todd would come on Amos's property and get the dogs riled up. They are now friends, and the widow is actually helping him heal because he's got that broken leg. And so we're left with Todd and Vixie overlooking this scene. They're together with this beautiful, happy ending. It's glorious. And it's a beautiful shot, too. And we even get a, so there, I didn't really talk about, but there's the B-plot with those birds. Binky and Boomer, they find their fuzzy worm that they've been looking for, who has now turned into a beautiful butterfly. We then get just the end on screen. No end credit. It's a Disney movie, so there's obviously some morals that we're to glean. There were a lot of strong thematic elements underneath The Fox and the Hound. 
about how kids will naturally make friends with all kinds because they're innocent. They have to be taught to be hateful or to not like someone who is different from them in some way about um, questioning bigoted rules imposed on them by others and trying to overcome that for the sake of what's right, even if that means going against what you were taught or trained about how beautiful the natural world is and that all beings just want to live in peace and raise their young without threat from unnecessary harm. And how kids see this too at first, but over time, sadly grow desensitized to it. I'm sure I missed some. Those were just the ones that immediately I thought of. What other morals did you glean from this movie or other Disney movies for that matter? Please let me know. All right, there's some trivia as well. So in order to authentically animate the realistically portrayed animal characters, the Fox and the Hound animators studied Walt Disney's award-winning live-action nature films for reference and inspiration. I got to say it did work. It paid off because it seemed very real to me. The Fox and the Hound was entrusted to a new team of young Disney artists, a veritable who's who, of soon-to-be-renowned talents, including Tim Burton. Did you guys know that? This was actually the final Disney animated feature to simply end with the end, Walt Disney Productions credit, um, because all the other credits were actually at the beginning of the movie. Next Disney animated feature, The Black Cauldron in 1985, was the first one with closing credits. This was Disney's first animated feature to use computer graphics, which I didn't know. Most of the CGI in this movie is actually shown during the scene where Amos Slade traps Todd and Vixie in the burrow. So that fire scene, I think, is what they're referring to here. Now, I had mentioned that the release date was the same as another Kurt Russell movie, Escape from New York. That wasn't the original plan. So the, the production was delayed a year after many of the young animators left to join Don Bluth's studio. I hope that name sounds familiar to you. If not, you will know his movies. Don Bluth Studio is known for the amazing films like The Land Before Time, All Dogs Go to Heaven, and An American Tale, a.k.a. Bible Story. So he's stealing all these young animators from Disney, and so it's delayed by a year. It was originally scheduled to be released on Christmas of 1980. And this was also the final animated Disney film to use the old Buena Vista logo at the beginning. The opening logo would be replaced by Walt Disney Productions Presents with its Fantasy Castle logo in all future animated films. So iconic. And I guess I was right about thinking that this was set in like the 20s or 30s because apparently the car that Amos drives is a 1923 Ford Model T. And while shown to be a bloodhound in the movie, in the book of the same name, Copper is said to be a coonhound-bloodhound mix. Interesting. Now, as I said, I have two bloodhounds, and they have insane noses. Many even have super impressive careers assisting law enforcement in search and rescue efforts. Mine are not these dogs, okay? Rambo and Balboa are good at chasing the backyard squirrels, barking at passing cars, stealing food from the counter, and lounging around. They're literally sleeping on my bed right now. So, Fox and the Hound. You guys got to rewatch it. It's so good. It really is. Sad, 
but so good. And it's, it ends happily. Okay, now are you ready for some MTV? Not quite a month later, in the summer of 1981, MTV was born. August 1st, 1981, to be specific. And then I was born exactly one week later. Just yesterday, it seems. Okay, so it debuts in the U.S. at 12.01 a.m. with, I'm sure you guys know, the Buggles song, Video Killed the Radio Star. At first, the format was simply VJs, which was like a new term, introducing videos and bantering about music news between clips. So after an initial splash, the network actually struggled because at that time, the reservoir of videos to pull from was pretty shallow. So there was a ton of repetition. Who wants that? So they then expanded their programming to include rhythm and blues artists. And then the network really took off. So we have singles like Billie Jean and Beat It from Michael Jackson's Thriller album in 1982. That not only showcased the strengths of the music video format, but proved that exposure on MTV could actually propel an artist to superstardom. And it did. This brought success to newcomers like Madonna and new wave icon and new wave icons, Duran Duran, who made the visual elements of the video just as important as the music. It also gave renewed life to veteran performers like ZZ Top, who, side note, do you guys remember their videos? They all had a similar feel to them, but I specifically remember the the silly, oh-so-80s legs video. Classic. So in addition to ZZ Top, we have Tina Turner and Peter Gabriel, each of whom scored huge hits of their careers, their biggest hits, actually, in, of their careers, thanks to uh, heavy rotation of their videos on MTV. So by the mid-80s, MTV had produced noticeable effects on movies, commercials, and television. And it changed the music industry. Looking good or at least looking interesting, on MTV became just as important as sounding good in terms of selling records. By 1985, videos were packaged into discrete blocks based on genre. This gave rise to specialty shows like 120 Minutes, which was for alternative rock, Headbangers Ball for heavy metal, and Yo! MTV Raps for hip-hop. And then before long, game shows, reality shows, animated cartoons, soap operas began to appear in the MTV lineup, and the network shifted its focus from music to youth-oriented pop culture. By the mid-90s, the majority of MTV's schedule was devoted to programming that was not actually related to music at all. Its sister station, VH1, had been broadcasting adult-oriented rock videos since 1985, and it soon filled the vacuum with original content such as pop-up video and the documentary series Behind the Music. Oh, okay, maybe I'll have to do a segment on uh, VH1 in a future episode. Kind of forgot about it. Okay, so then MTV Networks launched MTV2 in 1996 with the intention of recapturing the spirit that was originally embodied by their... I want my MTV ad campaign in the 1980s. But it too soon shifted to genre-specific programs. And by 2005, MTV had followed the same course as its parent network, with the bulk of its schedule consisting of reality shows, 
celebrity coverage, and comedies. What a bummer, right? I think we should go back to the memories of the good old days of MTV. Let's talk about that for a second. VJs. They were like the coolest to be an MTV VJ. The ones that I vividly recall are Martha Quinn. These are like the originals, probably the OGs of MTV VJing. Uh, so Martha Quinn, downtown Julie Brown, Kennedy, just single word, one name person, Kennedy, Simon Rex, and Kurt Loder. Or maybe Kurt was, I don't know if he was a VJ or if there was a news segment, but I remember him. Who do you guys most remember? Let's see. We have shows then, some shows that I specifically remember. MTV Unplugged, huge, especially for those of you who might not be familiar. This is like the live acoustic show, like bands and groups and artists would come on and it would be just like an acoustic version of whatever their jam was. I very much remember the Nirvana one. And I think that like made them super, super, superstars. Okay, remote control. Please, someone tell me that you remember this. It was a game show set up like a basement. Oh, God, I thought it was so cool. And like the contestants were in recliners that were placed in front of these breakaway walls through which they would be unmercifully pulled when they were eliminated. This was the first non-musical program on MTV, but I'll allow it. The cast included Colin Quinn, Adam Sandler, and Dennis Leary. Who are these guys? Never heard of them. And then, okay, we had, there was a computer game. There was a computer version for our Commodore 64. We had this computer trivia game version of remote control on that eight inch floppy disk. Who else remembers the show? Anyone else have the computer game? Oh God, I want to play that right now. It sounds so fun. Uh, the eighties. So then a little bit later, I think this might've been in the nineties, but Beavis and Butthead was super lowbrow yet hilarious animated show from Mike Judge about these like slacker dudes. It was really ridiculous, but somehow we all thought it was hilarious. Or just what about just like waiting for your favorite videos to come on with the little like in the lower left hand corner, it showed all the details about it. And so that was your Google. Like that's how you learned about stuff. And I don't know, maybe you even caught it just in time to tape it with your VCR. Did anybody do that? All right, so now the ever-debated best videos list. This can be a hot topic. Uh, but this is something that can't be debated. The most played videos, uh, the top eight, number eight, most played, Addicted to Love by Robert Palmer. I just remember there was Addicted to Love, and then what was his other one? You guys will have to uh, jog my memory. But he had another song, maybe all of them, but I remember Addicted to Love and then another song where the video's basically the same. He's singing in a microphone and then all those uh, dark-haired girls with matic makeup and their hair pulled up into a bun uh, playing guitar. Like, they all looked the same. You guys remember this, right? Addicted to Love, Robert Palmer. What was the other one? Anyway, Sabotage by the Beastie Boys was the number seven most played. Guns N' Roses with Sweet Child of Mine was number six. And number five most played was Walk This Way by Aerosmith and Run DMC. That was huge. I mean, this crossover, the video literally was like breaking down walls. Do you guys remember this video? This was um, like a big deal at the time. And I think it probably started the career of Aerosmith 
for the 80s anyway. Great. Anyway, number four is Sledgehammer. Number three, Smells Like Teen Spirit, Nirvana. Do you guys, any guesses for number two and number one? Number two is Madonna, Vogue. And you're right, Michael Jackson's Thriller is the number one most played video. Did I miss any of your favorites? I bet you it's in the top 500 at least. Apparently, MTV made a top 500 list in the late 90s. I'm not going to list all 500 of those for you, but you can look it up to make sure that your favorite is in there. I will, however, I mean, it is, they're pretty awesome. I, I had a hard time. I was going to just list the top 10, but then... I was like, no, there's really good ones in the top 20 and the top 25. So I ended up cutting this off at 33. Please bear with me. Or if you want to, you can skip past this. But I'm going to now talk about, according to MTV, these are the top 33. And the rank order is actually only slightly different from that of the most played. So you'll recognize them. Now here, it's a different number one. It's not Michael Jackson's Thriller. Anybody guess? Anybody? Anybody? Whoever guessed Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit is the winner. That is the number one, according to MTV. And then Thriller is number two. November Rain is number three. Oh, my God, you guys, this video was like 12 minutes long. It is so good. I love it. That's probably one of my favorites, November Rain. Then Madonna's Vogue is four. Under the Bridge by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Just Anthony Kiedis running with no shirt on. Glorious. Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer. Boys to Men, I'll Make Love to Use, number seven. Van Halen's Jump, number eight. Number nine is Alanis Morissette's Ironic. And rounding up 10 is another Madonna, Like a Virgin. Madonna was maybe like the queen of videos. She, there, so good. Aerosmith's Janie has Got a Gun is number 11. Money for Nothing by Dire Straits is number 12. I actually can't picture this one. Uh, teen is Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. Classic. Jeremy by Pearl Jam is number 14. Another Michael Jackson with Billie Jean as number 15. 16 is U2's With or Without You. Then we have Metallica's Enter Sandman. Then Puff Daddy with Faith Evans, I'll Be Missing You. Loved that one. Duran Duran's Hungry Like a Wolf is 19. And then number 20, Dr. Dre's Nothing But a G Thing. 21, Losing My Religion by R.E.M. God, that was quite a video. Crazy. Good video. And then, as I mentioned, Legs by ZZ Top earlier. That's number 22. Nine Inch Nails Closer. Is it closer or closer? I actually don't know. I'm not a Nine Inch Nails person. Somebody let me know. Another Madonna one at number 24 with Like a Prayer. You guys, this video, it might be one of my favorites. It was so like taboo at the time. Like people were calling for the boycott of her because it was like, um, like blasphemous somehow. I don't know. It's a a music video i thought it was really good really good and she has brown hair in it right that's like a prayer yeah am i thinking of the right one yeah like a prayer so good then on this list run dmc with aerosmith walk this way is actually number 25 it was number five on the previous list 
Coolio's Gangster's Paradise is number 26. Police, Every Breath You Take at 27. Def Leppard, Pour Some Sugar on Me is 28. Mariah Carey with Boys to Men, One Sweet Day. 30, In Excess, I Need You Tonight. Beastie Boys is number 31 on this list. It was listed much closer to number one in a previous list. But Sabotage is 31. Bruce Springsteen's Dancing in the Dark at 32. And TLC's Waterfalls. So good. At 33. So that's why I had to go all the way to 33. You guys, don't you miss MTV when they actually played videos? I actually think you can buy that, by the way, in like CD form. The MTV's Top 500. I only listed 33 of them, but I it's probably a pretty sweet package. Maybe I should do that. To recap, we've talked MTV and we've talked 1981, sweet, innocent, little animated movie. All in the same podcast. How about that? The Fox and the Hound is even cuter than I remembered. And I, was- I thought it was super well done in all the right ways. The animation, the music, the voice cast, the heartwarming story. Please give it a rewatch and let me know what you think. And while you're at it, share your MTV memories. How fun. Comment on YouTube, Facebook, or email. So have you guys been to the RetroMade website yet? Head on over to retromade.captivate.fm. The link's in the show notes. Check out the show notes. Why would I want to do that, you might ask? Well, you can share episodes with other nostalgia-loving friends. You can rate the show on Podchaser. It's at the very top of the website which is the IMDB of podcasts. This is especially helpful for non-Apple users like myself. I'm not an Apple user. And just like I want my MTV, I want my ratings and reviews. If you're in an especially generous mood, you can even support the show with a tip if you are so inclined. And again, all this is uh, available on the website. Links are in the show notes. And while I do want my original MTV, those days are long gone, unfortunately. So I guess we have to return to the present day. Until next time, be kind. Rewind.